Well, let's uh, let's begin uh, before we dive into God's word and prayer, please. So please pray with me this morning. Uh, God, we love you. and We're so thankful to be together uh, in your name uh, for your glory, for you to be uh, on the throne, to, to be our king, to be the one that has rescued us, that has redeemed us, Lord, that continues to reconcile us back to yourself uh, through grace and through mercy. Uh, Lord, we, we worship you because you gave yourself as a full and living sacrifice to the grave and then conquered that grave so that we could have life and the fullness in you. And now, Lord, you've called us to follow you and to be your disciples and to make disciples. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word and enlightening us to, to new truths or reminding us of truths that are just stable foundations of who we are as, as believers. God, be honored, be glorified through this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing through our, uh, our series in Ephesians. We're stepping into Ephesians 4 uh, this morning. And uh, excited about this text. But I'm going to start off with a, little, a, a short story. Uh, I was three year old, three years old once, and uh, actually almost 40 years ago, no, 37 years ago, I was almost, I was three. Is that right? Is that good math? I'm about to be 40, so that's exciting to me, kind of. Uh, but when I was three, we moved to Dawsonville, Georgia, and my dad and my grandpa, they uh, bought a piece of land, and they decided they were going to build a log cabin on this piece of land. And as a three-year-old, I wanted to be uh, in full attention with what was going on with my grandpa and my dad. And so I came up to the log cabin one day, and uh, my dad was there, and they had already got the foundation. They were starting to stack the logs. And he uh, had built a stool that had two steps to it, and he uh, called me over. He said, Luke, I want you to, to camp out right here. And he kind of created this environment, this little atmosphere for me that was safe in the corner of the log cabin that was uh, going to be between a window and a door, so the short logs. And he gave me a, a little three-pound tool that I could swing. And he said, I want you to drive these stakes into these logs here. I'm not sure what that is. Anybody? Ben, you might want to help me. I think that might be your guitar. It is? Just keep, just keep going? I don't know if I can. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he called me over and he gave me a tool and he created an environment for me to work in. And he said, uh, I want you to, to stick these, these spikes into these logs and I want you to hammer the spikes into the logs. And so then he showed me how to do it. And he grabbed a spike and he hit it with the hammer. And drove the stake into the log. He said, I just want you to do that right here. And this stool would allow me to go four, four logs high. And he stepped away and he just let me work for a little while. And then he'd come back and he'd correct me. And then I would start trying again. And he would walk away and he would watch. And he would just make sure that I was, I was listening. And so in today's text, we see similarities to that. We see that Paul, for the first three chapters in Ephesians, has been spelling out in great detail all that God did for us, freely by His grace. He rescued us from death. He rescued us from sin. And for those that are followers of Jesus, understanding it's by grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we have been invited into this, into this, this relationship. That's a miracle. That we are His adopted sons and daughters through the cross. And then in chapter 4, you start to see this, this, this shift, focus on not just the people that are free from death and sin, but the focus begins to be on uh, who we are as His people. And he drills down and he starts talking to believers that are in the church in Ephesus. And he starts recognizing and showing us to recognize that there's really two things that, that Jim just read for us in the text that we're going to look at in these 16 verses. It's first is that we're called to be unified in the spirit. We're called to be unified in mission and in doctrine and in theology, being aware of things and people that would create division. And that's that unity that we're called to be in, in the spirit, in the body of Christ. And the second thing is that we're called to make disciples, equipping the saints for ministry. So those are the two things we're going to look at. And as I told that story a little earlier, I see pieces of, of that done uh, in a non-perfect way through me and my dad and my grandpa, but done in a perfect way through God's word. And so we'll start off and it says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We immediately see that there is a calling on the lives of those who are believers. I've had so many conversations with so many people that just said, I don't know what my calling is in life. I don't know what I'm called to do. And they see texts like this and they think, no, 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 those are for people that work in the church. I don't know what my calling in ministry, how am I to serve, to serve God? Well, it starts with that you understand first that you're a believer and this calling is for all who are believers. This calling is for all of us that profess that Christ is king and is on the throne today. It's not just for an elect few. It is for all who believe. It is a calling for all the saints. And how does it start? Well, it starts with what it says here. It says it starts in a position, a posture of humility and gentleness and patience. But most of all, a posture of love. And in that posture, in that humility, we're called to, to maintain a spirit of, of unity. And so the beauty of that is that it's to maintain it. It's not to create it. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in dwelling within us. He is the one that has created the spirits of unity. He shows us that in himself as a triune, perfect, unified God. He shows us that by inviting us into this relationship that he's never been separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit. They've been one from the creation, from the beginning. And then he invites us into this and says, now I want you to maintain this. And I want you to maintain this with, with humility. So how do we, do we go into it with, with a haughty, arrogant attitude? No. We go into it with this humility that, man, I, I don't deserve to be in this relationship at all. It's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's within me, that's invited me. And then we look at Christ and we recognize that He is unified with the Father, the Son, and the whole, inside the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a perfect way within Himself. And then we read Philippians 2. The attributes of humility is how we're called to lead in this way. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, can complete my joy by being of same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But God made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore, as highly exalted Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. Why are we called to do this? Why are we called into this thing? Well, we're called for that very reason, that we might bring glory to God the Father. That was our call in the very beginning. In creation is to glorify God. And we invited sin into this, into this world. And we, and we broke that relationship. And now he's calling us to do that again. Spurgeon says it this way. We are confident that this unity is found in Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love for the Savior. I love that. And then in verse 4, it rolls right in. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul here is reminding us again of the motivation of our heart. The motivation of why we're called into this. We're going to walk in humility. But then what's the motivation behind it? It's because of what we read right here. Of It's for the Lord. And we have to fight for that hope in Christ every single day. The moment that we take our eye off the cross is when we become very fleshly people. And we become idols of our own agendas and our own work and our own heart. And so we have to fight for hope in Christ every day. That's where it's rooted. When we do that, we have to ask these questions. What are we hoping in? Right? Are we hoping to be recognized? Then hit the brakes. Are we, are we hoping to earn God's love? Then hit the brakes. Are we hoping to gain man's favor? If any of that is our motivation, then we're motivated by the flesh. But if our motivation is that we just want to honor and glorify our God for the things that he's done and the things that he's accomplished on the cross, then if that's the motivation, then we spurge on, we can continue on. And that's a supernatural thing. It's supernatural because a holy and righteous and perfect God invited us into this relationship. He called us out of darkness into light to, be, to bring glory to his name and to maintain 
the unity of the Spirit. And it starts here. It starts inside the church. It starts with us as the church. Not in this building, but as unified people. And so we gather together under a like doctrine and mind and theology as Coda Church. And so we must be unified there to begin. But, it says in 7, verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Y'all, we're going to need a lot of grace as we walk through this, as we learn to be unified with one another. We're full of sin. We're full of agendas. And we need God's grace to his measure to get on the same page and to be spurged on to walk in unity. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So first hear this in this calling that we've been called to by Christ. You are not alone. If you are a believer in Christ, Jesus ascended to go be with the father and so that he may leave with us a comforter, a guide in the Holy Spirit. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are not alone because you have other followers that are walking alongside and we're in community together. We're locked arms to, to, to push the mission of Jesus into the dark places of this world. So first, hear that you're not alone. Second, you're equipped. You are already equipped, equipped through Jesus giving you the tools, the gift, the perfect measurement for where you are. You are equipped. God has created this environment for you, this, this, uh, this place where you can, can serve him. He's giving you the tool. And he said, now go. And I'm going to show you how to, to serve me. I'm going to show you how to make God's name great on this earth. Come on in. Cambridge Commentary says it this way. The gift was in order that the church may be keyed to its task of presenting Jesus and his importance into the world. This call comes in a form of a gift, which God has assigned to each of us. And then Paul quotes Psalm 68. He says, uh, which Psalm 68, 18 says this. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even the rebellious. That the Lord God may dwell there. In the Hebrew, the word captives there is shiveh, which is a gender neutral term. It's for men and for women. This call that Paul is talking about, these gifts, these functions that he's about to unpack for us in just a moment, is for all believers. Now, as we read God's word and we allow God's word to shape our agendas on what, sh- what gender roles and political roles and, and social roles look like, God's word shapes that. And God's word tells us exactly what those roles are for men and for women. But these roles, these functions are these large silos that are inviting all of us to come in and to serve, to glorify God. It's all about bringing glory to God. And he says that uh, in, six, in, in verse 68 is actually pointing to Jesus, the one who has ascended. The writer in Psalm 6, 68 is pointing to Jesus. You ascended on high. And Paul's reminding us that, that he says the one that has ascended, he will descend. He will come to be with us here on this earth. He's going to come. He's going to show us. Not only is he going to create an environment for us, a culture, a neighborhood, a workplace, a ball team, 
Not only is he going to equip us with the tools to, to work and to serve him, but he's going to come. He's going to descend. He's going to come and, and be one with the Father here on this earth, and he's going to show us. He's going to show us how to serve him in these capacities. And he says, and these gifts look like this. And he gave them the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is the fullness of Christ in which this all is going to happen. So we're going to talk about these five functions just for a moment. These five functions being the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. In our culture, 21st century, there have been a lot of writers that have studied this, and they call it the APEST model. It's the APEST model of how the body of Christ, the church, can bring glory to God through operating inside these functions. And I think it's a very useful tool, but listen, it's not exhaustive. All right? It's not perfect by any means. This, is, this APEST model was is, uh, men, theologians, coming together and creating tools to equip the saints. But know that this assignment from Jesus is perfect. And he didn't make any mistakes in gifting you in the way that he has gifted you. But the first two, the apostle and the prophet, they can kind of get sticky sometimes because those are biblical terms. Old Testament, you hear the word prophet. New Testament, you hear the word apostle. So I'd like to, to place definitions to those and then give some context to it. The definition, we'll start with the apostle, is a delegate, an ambassador of the gospel. Officially a commissioner of Christ with miraculous powers. Apostle, a messenger, he that is sent by Jesus. The twelve disciples were the apostles. They, were, they walked with Jesus and he commissioned them in person. That's the twelve apostles and that office is closed. It's a capital A, uppercase A, apostle, and that was for the twelve only. We're invited in, into this, in this text, with a lowercase a, that we're still sent. Right? It says extend, we are still extenders of the gospel. We are still sent ones. We ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another and one generation to the next. We're always thinking about the future and bridging barriers, establishing the church in the new context today, developing leaders and networks and spearheading movements through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the lowercase a apostles. He commissions us through his word, Church of the Apostles. None of us here think that we're part of the twelve, but we all should believe that we are sent ones with the message of Jesus Christ. All right? And then you have prophet, uh, an Old Testament, even a stickier, because in today's culture, you hear people call themselves prophets. Right? And so I'd like to give a definition of that to the Old Testament. Definition, these were men filled with the Spirit of God, who by God's authority and command, hearing God in words and relaying the weight, the pleads of God and the warnings from God and urging men towards salvation. These people were hearers. They would, they, God spoke directly to them and they became um, mouthpieces to the culture, giving warnings to the culture. In today's Christian culture, we are still moved by the Holy Spirit to speak. Having power to instruct, to comfort, to encourage, to rebuke, to convict, to stimulate others. 
We're not satisfying the office of prophet in the Old Testament. It's a lowercase p. But God gave us his words, the Bible, to hear from him and relay this truth to others. So the function of a prophet still continues. People still need to know the truth. And these prophets, these people are people that are going to be, that are closely woven to God's word and they know God's truth and they know how to communicate God's truth and they know how to look into your life and say what you're, how you're making your choices don't necessarily line up with scripture. And they're going to walk carefully and gently with you. Some of you in here are gifted as apostles and prophets. Some of you in here are visionaries and you may take that apostleship into your business place and encourage and send the good news of how and why you should operate your business. The way you operate it is to glorify Jesus, not to make a big bankroll. Some of you may be prophets in here where you're going to walk with people and offer wisdom through scripture, through the, these huge decisions that you're going to have to make in your life. And you need those people in your life to care for you. Some of you in here will just take your kids and you'll sit with them on the couch at home and you'll keep Jesus in front of them. And you'll share scripture with them. And you'll guide them and you'll guide their life through God's word. And you're still being a prophet. And all of that is to bring glory to God. The office of prophet and, the, and uh, apostle, both of those offices are, offices are closed. Yet we continue to live those functions out in the lowercase a, lowercase p form for the glory of God. All right, so those are the two sticky ones. The next ones are, are fairly easy. But if you get stuck and you're, and you're struggling with those terms, don't get stuck on the terms. But if you want to talk about them, JP and I are available to sit down and talk through any, of the, any, any confusion, any fog that might be there. We're going to keep on rolling through. And the next one is evangelists. The evangelists are these infectious people. They're recruiters. They're people that are uh, they're, they're gifted to, to speak truth and to motivate others towards the cross they have this uh, unique ability to put Jesus in front of people and help them apply that Christ is the only thing that they need in their life for satisfaction. Evangelists are placed inside the church to build up the church, not to create division from the church. They're a part of, they're inside the, the body of Christ. And some of you in here may be those that, that are uh, heralds of the good news which is what an evangelist is. They carry the good news with them. And some of you in here may do that in front of crowds. And some of, the, some of you in here may do that at a coffee shop with a friend. But either way, you are an evangelist because you are, are, you're being sent and you have wisdom and you're extending the good news and you have an, uh, the attention of one person or a bunch of people. You may have the attention of your child or an in-law that you're sharing the good news of who Jesus is with them. And so you're an evangelist. The next one is uh, a shepherd. The shepherd is the one that's, um, that nurtures, nurtures and protects. It creates a, an environment, a cultivates a, an environment where, where we are protecting the, the church. We're protecting one another. You're encouraging one another. You're, you're walking with and helping to apply God's word to your everyday life. Some of you in here will, will uh, shepherd and lead studies and help unpack scripture. And help apply God's word directly to your life. And some of you will sit around a table with a mom and a dad. And help them fight. Fight for their marriage and fight for their family through, through 
leaning in, in more to Jesus. And both bring glory to God. And the last one is teacher. The teacher is the one that understands and explains. They're gifted in the way they communicate. They, they have the ability to, to remove uh, any type of, of uh, fog or any type of things that are confusing. And they're able to clearly communicate what God's truth is. They have a discernment about them of what God's will when they are teaching. Guiding others in wisdom. Helping to communicate re- and remaining faithful to God's word. Some of us in here will be teachers. Some of us in here will, will lead and teach uh, in, in this type of setting where men are called to be pastors of churches and elders of churches. And some of you ladies will teach in Titus 2 fashion where you, women will teach women and will teach our children the ways of the Lord and hopefully teach it in a clear and a, in a way that, that's understandable for them. Keeping it in front of them like Deuteronomy 6 calls us to, to paint it on our doorposts so that our kids will know who God is. Here's the beauty of all this text. We've walked through the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And here's the beauty of it. That we're called to equip the saints. He's given us these gifts to equip the saints. So here's the deal. You are the saints. We are saints called to equip saints. We're disciples, Matthew 28, called to make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey God's word. We are saints equipped to, to go and to uh, make more disciples. And so he, Jesus has created this environment for us. He's given us these tools. He's gifted each one of you differently and specially and uniquely. He's given you the measure in which he's done it, and he's showed you how to do it. In Alan Hurst, uh, his book, 5Q, which kind of walks through this, he does a great job of unpacking Jesus shows us this. And so I just want to read this to you. As Messiah, Jesus both experienced and proclaimed himself as being sent into the world as the chosen messianic agent of God's eternal mission. He followed the path that the Father had set for him. He lived perfectly by the law of the kingdom of God. He reframed the terms of reference by which God was to be experienced and accessed. He extended the boundaries of God's claim, thereby initiating the worldwide messianic movement that was to come known as Christianity. He is the great apostle. Jesus was fiercely and uncompromisingly prophetic. Almost everything he said, he tinged with the deep spiritual pathos related to covenantal concern and faithfulness to God. He exposed the fundamental breakdown of covenant obligation to God's chosen people. He named injustice and railed against unrighteousness. He exposed ungodly toxicity and misguided religion. He cast out demons, spoke truth and grace, confronted evil, and directed people to freedom. He is his own perfect prophet. Jesus proclaimed good news for the poor, forgiveness for all sinners, and salvation for the lost. Signs and wonders confirmed his witness. He opened the doors to all those previously excluded from religion and politics. The masses experienced him as a genuine, as genuine good news. Ultimately, he paid for the redemption with the sacrifice of his very life. He entered a room and spoke, and people were amazed at the truth he would present. 
he is the greatest evangelist. He worked to include the previously excluded people into the covenant community, and in so doing, creates a new family. One not exclusive to Israel, but open to all who love Jesus. Everything about him radiated concern for people and for the establishment of true human community and relationships. His healing and his miracles demonstrated God's grace, mercy, and concern for creation. He showed the way to the Father through love, acceptance, and reconciliation for all who would follow him. He is the perfect expression of the shepherd, the lover of his people. And then the last one, he says, He taught people whenever and wherever and whenever he could. He chose, instructed, and guided disciples, teaching those his way and the ways of God. He actually recast the Torah by fulfilling it. His teachings were elegant. Elegant simplicity beyond complexity. And were therefore accessible by the simplest and the wisest alike. The medium of his life was his message. Teaching followers to abide in truth. He is the greatest teacher ever. So why are these important? Why are these important to us Well, Jesus has called us into it, and he's showed us how to do these things, and he's fulfilled these functions perfectly, and now he's called us to be a part of it. He's invited us to know who we are in Christ, to operate inside these gift sets, not to shoehorn something or to be something, someone that we're not, but to know how we operate and function inside these elements for the glory of God. And so the question for us here is how are we? How are we as a unified body? How are we doing? Are we complementing one another's gifts? Are we operating inside those gifts within ourselves? Are we sharing those gifts God has provided for us? Or are we sitting and not doing anything because of fear or personal issues with the church or with Christ, the way we, we view God? He directs both the church and the work of the church. This is his church. He's assigned us to be a part of it. He's assigned elders and pastors to lead in that capacity, but to only be complemented by the rest of the body of Christ working under the headship of Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. And that's the call is that we would unify the spirit of the bondship of Christ inside the church, we would practice it here, and that it would explode and extend to the dark areas of this, of this world, so that we would be lights to the darkness. And that's overwhelming. That should feel incredibly overwhelming. And there should be a sense of fear, yet excitement inside of this calling, because we have all, as believers, have been called to be a part of this. This should be empowering. As Paul's writing these words in prison, he's encouraging his church. He's encouraging the church at Ephesus. You guys are gifted through the measurement of Christ. Now go and do for his glory, for the glory of the one that sacrificed it all so that we could have this. It says, it goes on, so that we may no longer be children, tossed, to and fro by the, weak, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow as it builds itself up in love. We are maturing in Christ because we are to maintain the unity. We are maturing in Christ because we are called to be people that equip the saints, disciples who make disciples. And when we do that, we may grow, not in size, but we may grow deeper in love with the one that has allowed us to be a part of his mission. And when we grow deeper in love with him, then his body lifts him up and we glorify God. And that is the call of the saints. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we're humbled and incredibly encouraged by this word, by your word, that's perfectly placed through the pen of Paul to the first century church. And it has been long communicated all the way through centuries to the 21st century culture. To where we have to rely on you. We have to lean more into you. We have to be people that desire you above anything else. God, we're so thankful that you've created the environment for us to work. God, we're so thankful that you've created and given us the tools to operate, the function. And God, we're so thankful, Jesus, for coming to be here with us and to show us in a perfect fashion to fulfill all these roles and now sending us to go and, and make disciples. God, help us. Help us to do this well. Help us to do this for your glory alone. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.